If you have your Bible, let's turn to Romans chapter 10 together. Just a real joy to be here. Parents, take a, if your kids are up here, take a breath. They did great, right? Didn't you love that? I do. I just sat up here watching them. I tell you, we had some kids got some African beat in them, man. I could have taken them to Africa with me and uh, just loved getting to watch them and their sincerity as they sang. And uh, this last year, during vacation Bible school season, um, I got a, uh, a card from some vacation Bible school. Apparently, the teachers wanted them to thank us, you know, for our service at the International Mission Board. And so they had a little card that they could color, you know, and it says, thank you on there. And um, inside, the teachers kind of helped them out. So they had, thank you for helping share Jesus around the world, then left them a little space at the bottom. They could put a little private personal message. So this, this is a vacation Bible schooler wrote, good luck and stay alive. <laughs> I love that. I treasure that right there. Good luck and stay alive. <laughs> That's good advice for a missionary, I'll tell you. And uh, it, though, it's been a while since I was here, but i tell you, I'm just, boy, I'm just great to be back. I turned this corner yesterday coming in from Huntsville and saw this parking lot ripped up, you know, and uh, building construction going on and some new facilities. And I'm sure it's probably frustrating for y'all who are waiting for that to get done. But boy, it just says to me, there's life in the church and God is at work and the church is growing. And it's just exciting to be here, Brother Bodo, to get to hear you share last night. By the way, I'm your roommate at the guest house. We hadn't got to meet yet. We kind of been passing, you know, passing ships in the night. Anyway, apologize for taking the ironing board in the iron yesterday. <laughs> but uh, he preached an incredible, if you weren't here last night, he preached a great message last night. And to hear about your connection with New York and what's happening there and other places around the world in Zimbabwe and Uganda and Haiti. And I mean, you know, what y'all have learned here at Arab is from Arab, Alabama, you can go anywhere in the world. You know, it's, it's not a secret. There's no such thing as a small church, only small vision. And when we as the body of Christ get in our hearts that God, whatever you want me to do, I'm all in. It's amazing what can happen. Uh, Brother Jamie told you, I've been with the International Mission Board 35 years. I was born on the mission field of missionary parents. My mother was a doctor. Uh, she was the pediatrician. Dad was a GP. And they went to Africa in 1952, got on a merchant vessel out of New York Harbor and went off to around Europe, stopping every port of call before getting to South Africa, offloaded their four-wheel drive Dodge Power Wagon. My eldest brother was eight months old, put all their worldly possessions in this truck, and then drove for several weeks to get up into the hinterland of uh, the country of then Southern Rhodesia. Went out 60 miles from the nearest town, and there they planted their lives. Their first hospital was a mud hut, first incubator, little orange box. And that's where I was born. Not in the orange box, but <laughs> but uh, I was born out there in the bush. Of uh, My dad delivered me in that bush hospital, middle of five boys. Um, that never was really a problem until sometime, Jamie, I was filling out an application for a passport, and it said place of birth, and I put in the bush. 
the U.S. government wanted a follow-up conversation about that. But uh, that's where I grew up. And so this, this, this cause of mission has just been in my heart from, from the earliest memories I have. And uh, our family, the Fort family, uh, my mom and dad spent 37 years in Africa, and then three brothers have served with the International Mission Board and our spouses, and then nieces have gone. I have a niece served three years in Afghanistan, and another niece, she served in Democratic Republic of the Congo, my baby girl. And some of you may say, yeah, Brother Gordon, it's easy for you to challenge us to go to the mission field, but, you know, what's it cost you? Well... My baby girl, uh, two years ago, went up into northern Iraq to serve amongst the Kurdish people. I don't tell you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. Now, I can just tell you as a dad, that was tough. And this is what I do. This is what I've spent my life doing. And as all you parents know, it's one thing for me to do. It's another thing for my child to do it. But I'll never forget my mama when they retired from the mission field, coming back to the States, thinking, okay, we're going to enjoy our grandbabies living in America. And they got here, and then three sons took off and went to Africa <laughs> and spent our career there. And so today, our family has given, through the International Mission Board, 280 years of service. And you know, I can trace it back to a prayer that my grandmother on my dad's side prayed. When her husband died, they were in seminary at Southwestern Seminary, been a Navy dentist, and they were discharged because of his health. He felt called to ministry. They went to get prepared, and they were at Southwestern Seminary and uh, got into a blue norther, and it was raining, and my grandfather got wet and damp and got a double pneumonia, and he passed away, leaving my grandmother with two little kids and pregnant with a third. The Great Depression just starting. Desperate time. She didn't have a driver's license. Her mother moved in to help her raise her kids. Later had a little boy, so I had three little kids. She told me on a Sunday afternoon in Fort Worth, Texas, she went to a little bitty Baptist church and the auditorium got down on her knees at the, at the, you know, at the platform at the steps and just was pouring out her grief to the Lord. And my dad happened to be with her. She had taken him along, and he was playing in the auditorium while she was praying and crying and grieving. And she said, Lord, if you'll help me through this tough time, I'll raise this little boy to serve you. And when you're ready to call him, he'll go with my blessing. You want to know why our family has served those years on the mission field? that prayer. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that God is all-powerful? You really believe that? Do you really believe that he knows everything? You really believe that? Do you believe that he sees everything? This morning... I may not have a clue what's going on in your life, where you come from, what you've been through, what you've experienced, the hardship, the struggle, what's going on in your life today. I may have no clue, but I'll tell you this, God knows everything. He sees everything. He can do anything. He knows everything.
So let me ask you this question then. That's true. You got someone better to talk to? You got someone with better contacts? Better resources? Better information? And the thing that has always haunted me when I think about my missionary career, when I think about my prayer life, the thing that haunts me is if I really believe those things to be true, why do I talk to God so little about it? Because I know when I look at our history, we have benefited from the prayers of my grandmother. Don't you think for a minute this morning that a decision God might impress in your heart won't matter. It could literally change the course of your whole family history if you choose to follow him. Just imagine what would have happened if my mother and father, see on my mama's side, she was the eldest of seven girls, and my grandfather was never pleased with her going to the mission field because she was taking his first grandsons, and he didn't like that. What if my mother had chosen to rebel against the call of God, and she and my dad had raised us here in America. What do you think would have happened to us? I wouldn't have been doing this today. Their obedience set the course of my life. When parents ask me the question, Brother Gordon, what will happen if God calls me to the mission field? What's going to happen to my kids? And by the way, yeah, we do take our kids with us when we go to the mission field. (laughs) contrary to some people I mean young couples will say God's calling us to the field and some will say you taking the kids well yeah yeah they kind of are a package deal they go with us when we go Uh, and they'll say what's going to happen to my kids over there if I take them to the mission field well that's the wrong question brothers and sisters the question is this if God calls you and you don't go What's going to happen to your kids when you raise them in a place of disobedience? Much better question. You see, friends, this text today in Romans chapter 10 and verse 11, there's an incredible statement made here, and we're going to get to it down there in verse 13. In verse 11, this is what it says. The scripture says, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Because there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord overall is rich unto all that call upon him. For, here's the statement, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, right there. Every believer in this room should say amen. Even if you don't say it out loud, say it down here in your heart. If you just can't bring yourself to say it out loud, say it down here in your heart. Say amen because you are counting on that. Because there's no qualifier put in that verse. It doesn't say, I will save you if. It doesn't say, I will save you if if you're good enough. It doesn't say, I will save you if you're educated enough. It doesn't say, I will save you if you're the right gender, if you're male or if you're female, if you're Greek or if you're Jew. It doesn't say, I will save you if you're smart enough. He just makes this incredible declaration. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, I will save you. 
Now look, I don't know hardly anyone in this room. And preacher hadn't given me any background information. But I just have an idea in this room, there's some scoundrels. Some scallywags. Some stubborn, hard-headed people. And ladies, if you want to give them an elbow from the pastor, just feel free. Just go right ahead. And you know this morning, you know that if you were honest, you know God is not lucky to have you on his team. He did not look out of the windows of heaven and just say to himself, well, my, my, my. You know, if I could just get Brother Mark to ask Jesus into his heart, how lucky I would be to have him on my side. That some of you, you know your testimony would be, Brother Gordon, if you just knew, buddy, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the seas, he heard my despairing cry, and from the waters he lifted me. Now safe am I. You were on a slippery road. You were headed straight to hell. You were living your life just like you pleased, doing what you wanted. You were trying to find fun and joy and, uh, you know, in your life just every, every place you could. And if you had stayed on that road, not only would you have never darkened the doors of a church, today you had probably been in prison. If not worse, you'd have killed yourself somewhere doing something stupid. Bubba's famous last words, watch this. And God in his mercy and grace saw you. But you couldn't save yourself. Oh, he's not lucky to have us on his team, friends. He didn't love us because we're good enough. He loved us because he's good enough. He didn't love us because you loved him, no. From the foundation of the earth, he loved us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. And this morning, you're in this congregation by the grace of God and you are a trophy of the grace of God. You're counting on this. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, I will save you. I was out in western Zambia. I'd been invited uh, to come with one of our missionaries to go see the paramount chief of the Lozi people. He had heard there was a missionary across the Zambezi River preaching a gospel, and they had never heard it before. And he had sent a messenger to ask this missionary if he would come across the river and come to their tribe and come and share this message with his people. This missionary asked me if I would come go with him. So I'd flown into a little bush airstrip. We got in his four-wheel drive truck, crossed the Zambezi River on a pontoon barge. We're about three hours into the kind of bush jungle area. And in front of us was this clump of people standing in the middle of the road. And we stopped the truck and rolled the window down. And one of them came around and talked to the translator for a minute. And then the translator said to me, these people want to know if you're the person who's coming with this important message that we heard about. I said, yeah. Talks to them a minute. Guy says, they want to know if before you go see the chief, would you mind if you share, share it with them first? 
So I said, sure. So get out of the truck, put the tailgate down, stand up there. They gather in front of the tailgate, and translator stands there with me, and I just begin to open the very simple truth of the gospel. And I'll tell you what, as a missionary I love is the fact the gospel is not complicated. It's profound, but it's not complicated. You see, the essence of the gospel is that God created each one of us as human beings. The Bible says he saw you when your bones were being formed in your mother's womb. He knows everything about us. He created us. And in creating us, he set a standard by which we would best live. But there's something down inside of all of us that rebels against God's standard. We don't like it that he wants us to live life a certain way. And the enemy is standing right there. Satan and his angelic hosts are standing right there giving you every excuse not to do what God says. Oh, he doesn't like you. Oh, he's just trying to spoil your fun. He's just telling you as many lies as he can to encourage your rebellious heart. Today on your way home, you might look at the gas station. Actually, the gas price is not bad right now, you know? But you might look at it and say, I'm not paying that for that gas. Water's cheaper. I'm going to go home and I'm going to get me a couple gallons of water and fill my tank up with that. I mean, what do people up there in Detroit know about it? And you can do that. But I'll tell you what, I'm not riding with you tomorrow. That's exactly what we've done with God. He knows everything about us. He didn't write these regulations and rules to mess you up. He wrote them so that your life would function the best way possible. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plan to prosper you. He's a loving heavenly father. The enemy has lied to us from the day we were born. And we rebelled against God. And Because of that, there's a separation between us and the holy God. And it's our sin. And friends, someone has to pay for it. A righteous God could not just say, hey, look, I'm feeling good today. I'm feeling merciful. Just... I'm going to let it. I'm going to cut you some slack today. You couldn't do that. Someone has to bear the penalty for my transgression. And brothers and sisters, God loved you and me so much. Jesus took my sin in himself on the cross. And there, hung in my place, bore my judgment. And God poured out his wrath upon his son in my place. That's why Jesus can offer us forgiveness. Now, friends, I'm sharing that simple story with that group of lousy people. I get through and I said, now, here's the message we're carrying to your chief. We, you know, he's expecting us. We need to go get back in the truck. And they run around from the back of the truck back to the front of the truck again, blocking our progress. And they have this animated conversation. And suddenly the guy comes back, roll the window down. And, uh, and he says, listen, you don't understand. He said, um, these people are saying they don't live around here. They live two days' walk back there in the forest. They've spent two nights in the forest walking to this road on the chance they would get here in time to meet you and hear this story. And what they're saying is they don't feel like you've told them enough yet. <laughs> See, brothers and sisters, it's hard for us to imagine a people that their whole history never heard. Never heard Jesus' name. Never heard about Holy God. Never heard about the Bible. 
Never heard that God had a plan for his creation. Never heard anything. Not the shadow of a cross in their communities. Not the first text in their language. They've never heard this story before. Can you imagine hearing this for the first time in your whole history? So I get out of the truck. I tell the young men, go get some firewood. We built this bonfire in this big uh, acacia tree. As the sun began to set, I stood there with the interpreter for the next three hours, just taking the story of God's history with his people from Genesis through the sweeping story of God's history through the Bible. Now my body moved. I wish you could have been there that night. Watch that. After I got through, I said, now this is the message we're bringing to your people. What do you want to do with it? One by one, those Lozi tribesmen begin to stand up, make their way into the firelight, stand there to say, this is the only way of life. We must follow it. There under that incredible canopy of the African stars, a gentle breeze blowing, we led them in prayers. Those Lozi tribesmen begin to call on the name of the Lord, repenting of their sin, putting their faith and trust in him. And what do you think God did? You think he looked out of the window of heaven and just said, sorry, not a good time for me? You think he looked out of heaven and said, I'm sorry, y'all don't dress quite right? You think he looked out of the window of heaven and said, y'all don't know enough, you're uneducated? No, what did he say? Same thing he said to you. Whoever calls on my name, I will save you. And I just tell you what. You may not get very excited about it, but the Bible says heaven rejoices when one sinner repents and comes to faith. I just tell you what, I think in heaven there was a little party going on. I have an idea. God just told old Gabriel, cut loose with your trumpet over there. We're going to enjoy this. There's a celebration taking place because you may not uh, get excited about it, but I'll tell you what, that was the price of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross in my place and the windows of heaven shocked to see the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. And now there's seeing why he died on the cross. Here are people putting their faith and trust in him, being born out of complete darkness into the light. Friends, it's a good gospel that we have. Sometimes we just lose a little confidence in it. Uh, last year I was out in the island of Cuba and there's a group there called the Santero Cult. They dress in all white. I want you to see one of their guys. He's a He's in the high priest in this uh, cult, and uh, he and his wife are both involved in it, actually. And um, they believe in spiritism, occultism. They're just chained deep in the chains of spiritual darkness. I'll tell you, there's a glint in that guy's eye right there of, of evil. But look at this next picture. All right, back it up, one. Not photoshopped, okay? Shave his mustache off, there he is. What do you think happened to him? He heard the gospel. And he and his wife put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the power of God changed his life, broke the shackles of his sin, and today he is a Baptist pastor on the island of Cuba. The gospel has power and authority, friends. I was down in Rio, Brazil about three weeks ago. I'd gone through there on my way to Sao Paulo for, to lead a prayer conference for our missionaries. And uh, I'd been there a couple of years before, and I was reminded of an, of an event uh, when the, the president of their, 
uh, home mission board, Pastor Fernanda Brundell, during a, a meeting we were having, walks up to me with his phone and he says, Pastor, I want to show you a picture. And he pulls his phone up and he shows me this picture and he says, see that? And it was a picture of one of the most horrible human beings I think I've seen. And I've seen some bad things in my career in the mission field. But this, this was a picture of, of, of a woman who was just skin and bones and tattered dress, pockmarked arms, eyes just dark and sunken in her head, hair just disheveled. He said, this woman has been on the street since she was three years old. When we took this picture, he said, we had found her in a gutter in an area of Rio called Crackerville. Body battered, broken, helpless. He said, I want you to remember this picture. I'll tell you, I can still see it in my, so vividly in my mind. After we got through with our meeting, we went across the street to their Bible school. They were having a meeting there and a chapel service invited me to come and share greetings and, and speak a word to these students. And so I, I did. We just had a wonderful time of fellowship. And then when I got through and we had the benediction, he motions to a couple back in the congregation to come forward. And this young couple comes up. And uh, he said, do you remember that picture I showed you? He said, this is Maria. Look at her. I, I tell you, when I see that, it's just the amazing grace of God. You take broken humanity, restore them. They'd taken her out to one of their farms. And out there, they'd nurtured her, given her some good nutrition, begin to build her strength back up and help her get off her crack addiction. And, and there she began to experience the love of Christ in this community. She'd never been loved before like that. And heard the gospel, put her faith and trust in Jesus and transformed her life. Began to disciple her and she met this young man. They got married. This is her husband. And, and when they graduated from this Bible school, they went up the Amazon River and spent the next two years sharing the gospel with an unreached tribal group in the Amazon jungle. Friends, this gospel is good. It's a good gospel. It's a treasure. I was in Indianapolis in a meeting of, uh, of deaf people. I was invited to come and speak. They're called the Southern Baptist Convention of the Deaf. They'd been meeting at that time for 40 years, and I'd never heard of them. And there are about 750 of these deaf, mostly deaf people, some who were born or raised with deaf parents or deaf families. And um, so I was going to speak to them, and uh, a lady got up to lead the music. And she kicked her shoes off down on the floor and got up on the platform. And I thought, yeah, kind of like, wow, what's going This is kind of relaxed place, you know? And uh, she's standing up there, and so she kind of does this to the media guys, and they turn this music on. She does this for louder, gets louder, and she does some more louder. And, gets, and it's like, I'm telling you, my head was pounding. And I, 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 I just like, man, who would have thought you need hearing protectors in a deaf convention? I mean, I was just like, what is this about? And so then she stops him at this volume, and then she begins to sign the song in time to the beat of the music. And then I realized why she kicked her shoes off. She was waiting until she could feel the vibration of the music through the floorboard of the platform on the soles of her feet. And I'll tell you what, I was sitting there and I saw that. 
And I watched the way that group was worshiping and I suddenly realized, you know what? If we're going to reach the deaf people in the world today who are lost, they need a deaf missionary to come share the gospel with them. It'd be much better for us to plant deaf churches than for them to try to learn about God in a hearing church like ours. It's not that we can't do sign language, and, but they need their own form of worship. I realize that a deaf Chinese has more in common with a deaf Russian than they do a hearing Chinese person. That when you're deaf, it creates a unique understanding of the world. And so when I got in, up to preach, I was very emotional. And I said, I apologize to you. I've never really understood this. I just assumed that we as the hearing people would find you in our communities. And if you're deaf, I thought it was a handicap. And we'll just kind of find a way to get the gospel to you. But I realize now that I was wrong. But I said, I'm not going to apologize for what I'm about to say to you. Because I know people like you around the world who are so lost. And they're considered cursed. In African culture, if you're deaf, they're ashamed. They think someone cursed you. In Islamic culture, if you're Orthodox Muslim, if you have a deaf relative, there's no hope of paradise for them. It's a blemish. Precludes you from paradise. Hopeless. The end of the service, when I gave the invitation, we ran out of cards at 75. Within three weeks, there were over 40 applying to be missionaries. Today, around the world, our deaf missionaries sharing the gospel with the deaf people. Some of them found their way into East Asia, found a commune of 15 deaf guys living on the streets in a little hovel place where they're just kind of eking out a living. They're just considered worthless. And these deaf missionaries found them and began to learn their dialectical sign differences and began to share with them, invited them to a retreat center that they had uh, rented. And they went out there and spent a week with these 15 guys. And in the course of that week, shared the gospel with them. And at the end of their time, they asked this group of deaf guys, now this is the message of the gospel. Would you like to put your faith in Jesus? And said, so this one deaf guy signs, are you telling me that if I become a believer in Jesus, that I never again have to be afraid of the evil spirits who live in our land? And our missionary signs back, yes, that's exactly right. And this, she said, this deaf guy signs back, that's the best news anyone has ever told me. Those deaf men put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because of security, they found a private place to have a baptismal service. And I want you to see this one guy getting baptized out in this little pond. He's signing his testimony, his faith in Jesus. And now look at what happens after he's baptized. <laughs> Ah, oh, friends, we have a good gospel. This is the hope of a lost world. And this gospel is in your hand. There are people that God will use you to touch that I'll never meet. Your testimony, your experience, your training, your background, your interests... God has put you together as a special ambassador of his. There's places that he wants to take you to represent him. It starts right across the street, right here in Arab. And there's some of you in this room, God may want to take you a little further, maybe up to New York City to help Brother Bodo. 
I'll never forget when I was a country pastor in Texas when I was going to university at A&M. I met this uh, bivocational rancher, and we were having a chat. We were working cows, and he says, Brother Gordon, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll go anywhere in the world as long as I can be back in Burleson County by sundown. <laughs> he put a cattle guard on the Great Commission. Have you done that in your life? Have you put a restriction on where you're willing for God to send you with this incredible message? Or maybe you've made excuses. I can't fly, I get airsick. There's a medicine for that. Oh, I can't, I, can't, I can't be in a boat. I get seasick. Yep, there's a medicine for that. And you just, you've got, you're just full of excuses. Why you can't do what you know in your heart God wants you to do. Then I promise you this. You will never be satisfied. You will always feel like, I could have done more. You'll live with regrets. Don't do that. Don't run from the greatest adventure of your life. God will never send you where he can't keep you. He's never going to ask you to do something that he won't provide you the resources to do. He wants you to trust him as your heavenly father. He's a good father. He's a, he's a great father. And here's the, today, before you go, I want you to think about this. At minimum, okay? This is the least, this is the smallest thing you can do. And I think today, I want you to say in your heart, I'm going to do that right there. I can do that right there. Every one of us who's a follower of Christ, we ought to have a passport. You tell me how you sing that song, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go, and you don't have a passport. <laughs> At minimum, today, when you leave here, you say to yourself, that's the very least I can do. hundred bucks, get a passport, and God may never ask you to use it. But you know what it does for you? In your heart, it just puts a message in your heart. God, I'm ready. Any time, any place, anywhere, if you want to send me, just give me the word. I'm good to go. Because you got a great gospel. And that gospel needs to be delivered. People are waiting to hear it. Those lousy people on the backside of that Zambezi River would never have gotten the gospel unless someone came there with it. Later, we went to see the paramount chief. This was amazing. I, I usually forget to even finish this. We get there well after midnight. From way in the distance, we can see a firelight out over the trees of the forest. And we pull around the corner through the bush and we come out. And here's this huge bonfire in the middle of this village. The, the chief and his elders and the people in that village were still waiting for us to get there. I'll never forget that. 
Friends, you get to deliver the gospel. Let him lead you. Trust him to take you. Put your heart and yield it to him and say, God, whatever I can do for you, just let me know. I'm all in. All right, let's pray together. And as you're praying, thinking about it, for some of us, perhaps, the first step you need to take is to put your faith in Jesus Christ today, to trust him as your personal savior. Turn from your sin, from your own will, leading your life and say, God, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to trust you. He is waiting for you to ask him. That's what he's waiting for you to stop and say, okay, I can't fix myself. I need to come and put my faith in Jesus Christ. Why not do that today? You may be here and this in your church home. Maybe you're visiting but listen, if you're in this community and this is a church in your community, I tell you, you couldn't find a better place to plant your life, to join in with a group of people who want to be on mission with God. Why don't you just say, okay, look, we're not looking any further. This is our home. Come and put your membership in this church. Some of us, we just need to make our way down here to the altar, to these steps. We just need to do some business with God. We just need to lay our yes on that altar and say, God, whatever's next, whatever you want me to do, however I can serve you, this is your life, and whatever days I have, I want to live it on purpose for your kingdom. Maybe that's what you need to do. Whatever it is, Brother Jamie will be here if you need to talk with him. The altar will be open if you'd like to make your way there. We just have the freedom here this morning just to respond to the Spirit of God as he deals with us, all right? Let's just stand together and then I'm going to pray and then we'll be singing Great is Thy Faithfulness. Let's pray. Now, fathers, we're standing here in your presence. You see every one of us. You know everything about us. And we're just asking you, if we open our hearts, we listen carefully, then you're calling us. What remains to be done in the remainder of the service is to answer your call, to respond to what you're saying to us. Whatever that is, let us feel the courage to take that first step of obedience, whatever it means. And you speak to us and we'll respond. In Jesus' name we pray.